Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. The following was previously recorded and scheduled to broadcast at this time. Back for hour number three of Green and Growing. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Hope you're having a great Saturday. I'm away today, but I've put together a great show for you. And I've let you know this guest is coming up. We met through some mutual friends, and I'm so excited to share with you the things that Walter Brooks Jr. does. CEO and president of Brooks Made Gourmet. You may have seen his line of sauces. You may have seen some of the things he does. Travels internationally, a self-trained chef and serial entrepreneur builds an international line of clean label and locally sourced sauces and rubs. And we're proud to have him here from Georgia. Walter, welcome to Green and Growing. Good morning, Ashley. Thank you for having me today. So exciting. And I want to give a shout out, a little hello to Jay and James with the NFL Alumni Association. They had lunch with me and they're like, you've got to meet this guy. He'd be great for your garden show. He's doing a lot of cool things. So I couldn't wait to share your story. Talk about being an entrepreneur and in the food industry too. How fun is that? It is very fun. You know, being out here today, I got to thank, you know, also Mike Haynes uh, with Straight Up Sports who actually introduced me to to the alumni. Yeah. He's part of the Alumni Hall of Fame. And he uh, wanted Jim and James and Andrew to kind of see what we were doing in our community. But it's it's awesome being an entrepreneur. It's, it's fun to get out here and, you know, mix it up with people like yourself and to really just get out here and do, you know, do the things that are matter, you know, that matter to the community and matter in our lives. So it's really fun. You've got the brain of an entrepreneur, but the heart of someone really involved in the community. And that's where James tug at my heartstrings telling me about what you do. Gardeners, I told you, Walter, are the most generous group of folks that I've gotten to know over the three years of hosting this show. If they have excess crop, they share it. They give it to neighbors. They bring it to the farmer's market. And that kind of made me think a little bit about what you do. Um, Food insecurity is something that you're pretty passionate about, making sure everyone has basic access to food. You know, a kid growing from South Central Los Angeles, yes, I agree. You know, I think about having to steal icing as a kid because it had sugar, and I I used it to feed my brothers and sisters on the Mm -hmm. way to school because, you know, I knew they would need energy, but they didn't get breakfast. And I had to think, like, well, I'm the oldest. What can I do? Okay, well, I don't want to take anything but I mean money I have to figure out how to feed my brothers and sisters right. as an older sibling and so things like that stick with you when you think about looking on the inside looking out versus outside looking in at everything it's it's just a different lens of need that holds you back it kind of a it's a, it's a cultivating process of, of need and these are the essential things that no one should have to feel sorry about asking for or having you know it's it's one of those things that you know it's going to take everyone the basic right to eat is not a privilege. 
right? Yeah. It's something that actually helps everyone when everyone thinks right or can go to school and think right. And it doesn't happen only for folks that are without means and some parents. I'd say a lot of the kids that parents have means struggle the same. There's kids struggling with food insecurity because there's not programs like vending machines for these kids to reach out to or some type of access for food after or around those times where they don't have anything to eat. Well, and the Atlanta Community Food Bank is, is large here in our area, but of course every area and jurisdiction throughout the Atlanta area in Georgia, they have local food banks, and they've really done a very good job of awareness in these past few years. I don't know if COVID brought it more to light or what yeah. with people's struggles, but the numbers are staggering when you think it could be your neighbor. You know, one in four, one in five people yeah. deal with food insecurity, but it's not yeah. something that you see, right? right? And so people like me just think, well, I can donate to a food pantry or maybe I can, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know who's in need. Mm-hmm. You're just giving it, hoping it, it finds the right, right hands. But you are blessed enough and have the opportunity to be able to make a direct impact. You've set up a relationship relationship with, is it the Fulton County school system? We actually work with um, different organizations like Fulton County um, Action Authority, which I'm a board member of right here in Atlanta. And we work with different programs that work closely with schools. And our, our goal is to make sure that no kid feels bad to ask for food. And so with that, we want to put things in place because all the all school systems don't give free meals. Right. You know, um, Title I schools. So a lot of the schools don't want to attract kids for that reason. And right up here in Roswell or Alpharetta, they just, if they don't have any money on their account, they don't eat. It's, it's a shame because we're throwing it in the trash. And it's it's sad because teachers are having to scrape money out of their pocket. Lunchroom workers are trying to pay the bill. Police officers are donating to the wow. cafeteria lady who's telling them which kids are coming here hungry or don't have food. I was one of those kids. It's like we, we know too much you know, I read Peter Drucker and my mentor, Sonny Walker, who's kind of groomed me for this city. For the 21st century, this is ridiculous. With the technology and communication, it seems like we're getting more and more disenfranchised and actually brought together. It's just like we're all in our little silos. Right. You, you would think it'd be a simple, simple solution, but it's not that hard. It's just yeah. there's a need, right? And it starts with the kid. And if everybody's job is around that kid eating, then how can we keep getting it wrong? It doesn't make sense if your only job is to look at the kid and go, you okay? But we just have this overt way of looking at the same situation. It's like you're thinking they're acting out. They're just hungry. On the food part, we really are working to manufacture frozen foods, and that's for um, insecure kids. We want to set a piece back for that because most kids can't cook or they can't give them vegetables and they say, okay, I'm going to make a meal. I don't have any heat. We're working with our partners with um, the, to set deliveries in place for those kids. And so I'm creating a texting program for it that kids can actually just text into if they're in need. And so that's going to be forthcoming. And then we're working with the um, Fulton County Community Action Authority to deliver those meals and setting up tem- temporary commissaries for our food kitchens. It's first finding the need and then solving the need. And we don't want it to be something that's never solvable. So the thing is to create one model and then have it duplicated. That's what we're going to start with Atlanta, Georgia first. And then we're going to start working on a national approach to do what we're doing here other places. Yeah. Speaking with Walter Brooks, Jr., President and CEO of Brooks Made Gourmet Foods. But you mentioned food waste, too, Walter. And you and right. I had a conversation. Right. You've got relationships with farmers in yep. Georgia, too, because you're part of the Georgia Grown yep. program. 
some of those crops and things can be redirected to make Correct. sure they're not going to waste. Correct. Uh, yeah, that is actually 100% right. So we have uh, mobile trucks that are well-equipped kitchens, state-of-the-art kitchens. And then we go around and basically, wow. you know, mentor how to cook or with the kids, youth. We work with Department of Agriculture and different programs, and they'll have uh, us come and try to do different things at different colleges, like Fort Valley or different schools, where we actually try to partner with different organizations like USDA with Secretary Whitney, Agriculture, Georgia Grown, um, Sarah Cook, she's great, you know, and Happy Wyatt. These are all folks that are Georgia Grown um, facilitating the smaller crops from the smaller farmers so that we can have a consortium. We can say, okay, well, you don't have enough to compete on a large level, but independently, if we try to work together to have those crops to a larger goal, then we can buy all those crops, right? And then we want to actually take those crops and manufacture those crops into CPG products because I'm a, a brand that packages foods and produce jams. And, and so this helps to then tell their story independently so that my goal is to try to go back and say, well, let's find a way to package your products to take to retail market, right, where they don't just rot or go bad. Right. And so that's that's the goal for us is to try to bring forth some catalog of independence products and services coming from a local or disadvantaged farmer that can't really they're not business savvy enough in certain cases where they're not getting the advocacy to learn okay the business side mm-hmm. it's a whole nother world but if I come to you and say look you know you got a crop with some collard greens so we're going to manufacture those put those back in the marketplace and freeze them. And he makes his money. Right. Yep. And so now you can go to the farmer's market with that. You can go to your retail local store and say, hey, support me because I got this product. Larger crops are, are winning over the mom and pops. And it's just they're not b- buying from them humanely enough to say you can live. You know, we'll give you 10 cents versus you should get like 50 cents. Yeah. So our job is to try to make them feel comfortable sticking the shovels in the ground because people won't do that unless there's monetary. They've got to know there's Correct. light at the end of the tunnel, right? There's no point. You know? So I'm like, when you tell people there's a path to digging that trench and putting those seeds in the ground and cultivating that land and getting that crop to grow, someone's going to buy it. I do it because at least I know I'm, it's not in vain. Well, and me as a consumer, I hadn't thought of the angle that you brought up to me before where, say, we're talking about some fruit crops. It's not going to the grocery store because it's not the best looking. Some of the, the fruit mm-hmm. may be blemished mm-hmm. or whatever. So mm-hmm. then you're also empowering some of these farmers or other middlemen, people in the equation mm-hmm. to make this stuff shelf stable. Yeah, whether it's, jam. like you said, jams or something yeah. like that to where it's not going yeah. to go to waste. It's like the lemonade story, you know, when you got lemon, you make lemonade. Mm-hmm. Talking about making some of these crops shelf stable, um, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I think of, of your business. You're, you've been a restaurant owner, self-taught chef, and right now with your line of Brooks Made Gourmet, bottling sauces and things and spices for folks to use. Um, how did you come about the knowledge to do that? I was actually a fleet maintenance technician. I own my own company. And one day I had uh, developed an appendix problem and it landed me in an emergency situation in a hospital. About kill me. Actually, I, I passed. I did die on the table a, few, a couple times. Brought me back after five years of surgeries to save my life. I gave a thought to cooking, and so I got a cookbook about four or five inches thick. And I just said, I love food. First of all, and something's always missing where I go because I'm just a foodie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, there's no love in some of this stuff. Did you try it before you gave it to me? Like, 
<laughs> you know, food is art. And I just felt like it was just getting watered down. So I opened a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I opened Three Brothers brand. And then it evolved into a Starbecue house franchising. And then we eventually closed it prior to COVID um, as COVID hit. So I started in hospitality, too. So I ran in hotels and here in Atlanta with Sam Burstyn mentoring me with the American and uh, hotel that used to be downtown and Ritz and then and I just gave a thought to running my own business after I got in hospitality graduate and I said you know what uh, I'm gonna run my own company if I can make your customers happy and I did and they would switch hotels to come wherever I go yeah I just figure I can do it for myself what's the future status of the restaurants are we getting back into that I am I am I got investors we're looking at um, opening some some more drive-through concepts of Starbucks house. And so what about folks taking home a piece of your sauces and things, though? They can yeah. order on the website, brooksmadegourmetfoods.com. Mm-hmm. One of the ones you brought to my attention, mm-hmm. I hadn't noticed it, the chocolate yeah. barbecue sauce. Yeah, yes, yes. It's like a Reese's Pieces moment. I mean, I don't mean to have a disgusting yeah. look on my face. Like, it sounds no. amazing, but I just never would have thought. Yes. It's my actual um, pitch when I'm at the show. I let people walk by and I go, chocolate barbecue. And they go, yeah. turn around and come back. What did you, you say? You got me. And yeah. And, and they're like intrigued and after that they buy it because it's nothing you can imagine um, ever having it's on a mole it's just I made a great barbecue sauce and then I thought to myself it's missing again it's art and I said you know wouldn't it be nice to have just an essence of some you know almost like a gastrique with it and it just gave the right cool balance of spicy with the back end of, of a little kick <laughs> but then the coaching of the chocolate and so it just gave it just a really decadent feeling it works well it's certainly a good time introducing you to my listeners here on green and growing are you hungry yet well stick around walter has just a little bit more to share with you next and then your calls on 95.5 wsb I'm WSB meteorologist christina edwards plentiful sunshine today warming up to a high of 57 through the afternoon the update on the weekend weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Thank Tell you. folks how to find you, whether they're interested in your sauces, keeping up with when the restaurant's going to open, or just your social media. Yeah, we can we can be found on uh, by Googling, you know, Chef Walter Brooks. Um, you can come to our social media and on Instagram at Brooks Make Gourmet Foods um, on Facebook uh, as well. Our website is definitely a key place for us. I mean, you know, anytime. I think Jeff Bezos is okay, but we we would like you to buy it from our site over them. But, you know, if it's convenience, then it's on Amazon or Walmart Marketplace online if you want to find us there. But, yeah, you Google us and keep up. I'm like, you know, where's Waldo? You just, you, you got to, you know, I'm always somewhere running. You and know. you need to be. Yeah. That's what an entrepreneur does. That's how you That's make right. your money and you network and you meet people. That's right. So much more to fit into a future show, Walter. I certainly want to have another conversation in a month or so about opportunities for minority farmers and what goes into ensuring that there is no food waste on Georgia farms. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. My thanks to Walter Brooks Jr. That was a great conversation. Learned a lot and a lot more to learn. All right, number one this weekend, plant pansies and English daisies in a sunny bed when the weather is mild. Use plants in three-inch or larger pots to make an immediate impact in your landscape. Number two, miss house plants because they like the humidity. Watch out, though, for brown edges on houseplant leaves. Mist the leaves maybe twice each day if they're starting to brown a little bit. Move them from drafty areas. You also want to wipe the tops of those leaves down, too, to take the dust away. And number three, prune clumps of pampas grass down to 12 inches tall. I have seen my neighbors go at it with a chainsaw, and it looks pretty good. Use 
use a gloved hand, of course, to pull out the dead stems in the clump. All right, when we come right back, your calls to green and growing. I hope you stay tuned. We're wrapping things up on a Saturday morning on 95.5 WSB. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. On 95.5 WSB. Now, ready for some of your garden questions. Jan from Milledgeville, you're up next. Thank you. My Lariah in Mm -hmm. my front home. Is it time to... You know, you're in Milledgeville, so you're in Zone 8A, right? That's correct. Yep, a little bit warmer than than us here in Metro Atlanta, most of us in 7B. For you, I would say go ahead. Uh, I know it's probably looking pretty tattered and pretty brown right now, isn't it? Shaggy. Yes, very, yep. Liriope, monkey grass. I always do mine with hand pruners, just get down on my knees and kind of pull it up like a haircut and then just snip it all off at one time in a handful. The reason I'm saying for you, I would, and and I'm making an exception. Again, I'm just hesitant to really prune much of anything right now because we were just so burned by that Christmas freeze that, I mean, you you always know there's a chance for another one, and it could be as late as mid-April here in Atlanta. But that's why we're telling a lot of gardeners, don't really prune anything right now, except the stuff that you would normally prune right now. Like this time of year, you would normally prune hollies, you would normally prune uh, anise, crepe myrtles, those kinds of things. I'm going to leave the tattered stuff. It's driving me crazy, and I think my postal lady probably thinks I'm the laziest person ever because it just looks bad at the mailbox. But I know the new shoots are going to start coming up really soon in the thicket of all the grass. And I'm thinking if I leave the long tattered parts on, it's still going to serve as a little bit of a barrier and insulation. But I know it's going to take a lot to kill off monkey grass, right? Let's let's be honest. I mean, temperatures could stay in the teens and the stuff would survive. But yeah, I mean, if, if no one's really concerned about it or worried about it, go ahead and give that stuff a nice haircut. And if you have a, a bigger patch of it, you know, get the lawnmower out there, put the blade up as high as it can go and just run it over if you've got a lot. I'm also going to put pansies up at my mailbox. Do the deer like? Oh, the deer love pansies. Yeah, we know they do. I will spray. The deer off and the the deer repellents work pretty well, but granted, after a rain, you're probably going to have to go out there and spray them again. Um, And malorganite, you know, I always talk about that fertilizer because it's just got such a smell to it that that is... I mean, it's not, you know, it's a fertilizer. It's not meant as a deer repellent, but it sure does work. And it's going to fertilize your pansies at the same time. So that's a bang for your buck that it's kind of a two-in-one. Great. Have a great Saturday, Jan. Bye-bye. And something else that, uh, like, TJ reached out to me on the Facebook page, and he lives in Commerce, and said, when do I need to cut back my roses? And from the picture that TJ sent, uh, they look like knockout roses, could be some other variety. You know, you're hearing some gardeners right now start to say, yeah, prune them now, prune them now. I don't. I still feel like it's a little early. Really a good time when you go out and look at your roses right now, like I have. They're right on my my front sidewalk, so I walk by them all the time. I can see new growth. I can see that dark red little new growth coming out from the stems, and it's about, it's already out, maybe about a quarter of an inch. Um, But I'm going to wait till those new shoots get a little bit longer. So that is probably going to be more around mid-February when I'm going to prune them. And I was also on the the Knockout website, you know, the Variety of Roses. That is a a brand name, knockoutroses.com on their website. And they're kind of saying the same thing. You know, you want to cut those back as low as they can be cut back to 12 inches high every year. Uh, 12 inches high, they're just little stems out of the ground at that point. And that's okay because they're going to triple in size or even more 
than from what you cut them back. So gather the tools up around Valentine's Day is what I told TJ. That's just easy for me to remember. The way you decide where to cut is looking at where that new growth is coming out. So if those new little shoots are coming out from each stem and they're kind of facing out away from the inside of the plant, you want to cut right above that because that new growth is going to be directed outward. And we don't want all the new growth going inside the plant and crossing over each other. So go right above an outward-facing bud, make a sharp cut, make sure the pruners are clean and that they're sharp, and you just go to town. You know, I mean, protect yourself with some good gloves. Uh, Trim out the smaller canes, too. The smaller canes just aren't going to do a whole lot. And discard all of the debris. Um, Year after year, if you suffer from black spot on the leaves, uh, that's a very common problem with roses because of our high humidity. Certainly not fatal in the summertime when you start seeing black spot on your roses, but that is a, a fungal disease. So the spores are going to live on those leaves. And when all of those leaves are kept at the base of the plant, that's just not good hygienic practices for the landscape. So once you're done pruning and you still see, you know, the leaves from a few months ago on the ground, just go ahead and rake all that stuff out from underneath the rose. You've got a nice new pruned rose there and put some fresh mulch and it's just going to look a lot better, too. Out to Douglas County we go and talk to Debbie, calling from Lithia Springs. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Doing fine. I'd like to know about Meyer lemon trees Mm -hmm. or lemon bushes. I had, um, or I noticed that they were growing some up in Marietta and left them outside. Hmm. But I was under the assumption here that we would need to bring them inside. And what do I need to take care of them? (laughs) Yeah, they're generally not winter hardy uh, if temperatures fall much below freezing, like 25, I think, is really their their absolute drop-dead kind of temperature, anything 25 and less, but I wouldn't even try to get close. So it is smart for our area in 7B and our part of Georgia to have them potted. That way you can bring them in and out, in and out. And one of the things that's kind of discouraging about having them potted, you know, you bring them in for the wintertime, you have them in front of a sunny window, and they will still lose their leaves, which that's kind of disheartening mm-hmm. to a lot of people. Um, but once you bring them back outside, say when temperatures get comfortably back around the 60s, and there is no chance that they're going to fall below that, they will start to put on new leaves immediately if they're happy. Great. Debbie, do your research, too. I mean, see if you can get one as as hardy as possible to Zone 7. But also, there are dwarf varieties as well that may be a little easier when you're thinking about having them potted, you know, and bringing them in and out. A dwarf variety may be something kind of fun. And sometimes folks are kind of thrown by the fact that if they're really in a nice, warm, bright spot... In the wintertime, some people are thrown by the fact, oh my gosh, it's blooming in the wintertime. And they will. They'll bloom sporadically throughout the year. They don't have to have that insect pollination, which is a great thing about them. But when you do see the blooms on them, you just kind of tap them with your finger ever so lightly to kind of move the pollen around in the flower. And yeah, I mean, you know, folks will get a decent crop of them for sure. Fantastic. Thank yep. you so much. You're welcome. Good luck. I hope you. Uh, I hope you try it and have a lot of success with it. Oh, thank you kindly. Thank you, Bye-bye. Debbie. Good to hear from you. That's a great question. And and this is a fun one to try. You've got to be really dedicated to it because, you know, the tree will last a long, long time um, as long as it's kept happy. And just like with anything else, you want to fertilize when it's an active growth, right? So when we start to think about bringing it back outside, like I said, when temperatures get about 60 degrees and are going to stay there, uh, bringing it back outside and letting it stay out. But that's the time to fertilize it when it's wanting to put on those new leaves and blooms, perhaps. Um, I think an 888 fertilizer is probably best for that. You know, you think of the general all purpose is 10, 10, 10. Easier just to go to the nursery and look at a bag and and. <laughs> 
I mean, they make it foolproof now, you know, all the, the companies that produce fertilizers, that it says citrus fertilizer, orchid fertilizer. I mean, they, they make it pretty easy for us. Um, and just make sure you follow the directions as far as frequency of applications. But that will really, really help as well. Up to North Cherokee County next in Ball Ground, we say good morning to Chuck. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Ashley. Hey. Thank you. Well, I've got about a quarter of an acre garden area, and each year um, the Bermuda grass has continued just to kind of take over, and last year was the worst. And uh, each year, each spring, I till it, but that doesn't seem to be enough. You know, I've got uh, peanuts, zucchini, squash, corn, several different kind of peas, a little bit of everything I can grow. One of the things I can remember, and I've talked to Clint Waltz at the University of Georgia about this a number of times, too, and it's kind of in the case where I'm thinking, you know, like someone wants fescue and the Bermuda kind of creeps, keeps creeping in. You know, that's kind of a situation where whichever one is receiving the most sunlight is going to win out. But in your case, just taking over everything else. Um, I think mm-hmm. that Fusilade was a product he mentioned. I don't know enough about this chemical, though. But Fusilade is a name I remember, obviously, when you're talking about it being around vegetables and edibles and things you've got to be very 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 careful what you apply when you apply it Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing but it's going to be tough other than gosh i mean just going down that first couple of inches of topsoil and literally digging out um (laughs) the root system of the bermuda it's going to be tough triclip here too i think is like a a three-way chemical as well but again the the only chemicals that i can think of chuck unfortunately are not going to be you know smart to use around edibles I plant the rows far enough apart to where I can pull the tractor through until it gets too high. And then it's just the, the manual effort has just become too much. Just too much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you um, know, in, in between the actual what's growing. Well, I'll tell you, I actually just looked down at my phone, which I don't normally do as I'm on the air. 15 minutes ago, Clint Waltz texted me, as a matter of fact, this morning, <laughs> ironically, and here I am talking about him on the air. So I bet he's listening, Chuck. I know he'll have something to say about it. So I would actually like to get an answer from him for you uh, rather than me spouting off chemicals that I can remember, but I don't remember exactly, you know, all of the details about them. Absolutely. So we're talking about how many acres? It's about a quarter of an acre. Okay. Yeah. I'll get you a good answer and follow up. Sure. And if anybody wants to come and cut Bermuda and replant it, have at it. Well, (laughs) I'm actually getting finally going through the master gardener classes to get my certification as a master gardener. And I need volunteer hours. So maybe I'll show up and like you can sign off on my little time card that I put in two or three hours worth of work trying to get your Bermuda up. How about that? Perfect. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Chuck. Yeah, don't don't go anywhere. Hang tight. We'll get you an answer. I love that. Talking about getting rid of that Bermuda grass that is just so invasive and getting in between crops that he wants to grow and all of that. As I said, I knew I would hear from my friend Clint Waltz uh, down at the University of Georgia Griffin Campus, turf grass specialist. Fusilade is a grass-specific herbicide, Clint says, so that could be something. It may be a little less common to find on the shelves, right, than some other things. I had mentioned Chuck Triclopier. Not such a good idea. Clint explained why. I won't go into detail, but I was incorrect about that one. It may be more harmful to some broadleaf things, and I'm worried about your vegetables being so close to that. But really, Clint says Roundup is... Very effective as Bermuda grass is in those transition periods, right? So as it's going dormant, say September, October, or as it's starting to green up, say April, that is when it's going to take up that roundup most efficiently. But repeat applications are usually necessary for something like that. And the the residual on Roundup is not going to be great. Like, it's not like you're going to spray it on the Bermuda and worry about it staying in the soil for 
a month or a number of months. So really, that'll probably be broken down after about a week or two's time. So if then you need to plant the vegetables nearby in the weeks after that, it's going to be okay. But anytime you're going to spray Roundup in the area of vegetables or things that you don't want it to get to, you always have to be very mindful and very conscientious of drift, right? You spray and you think you're target spraying something, you're as close to the plant as you can be, but there still could be drift that goes through the air that inadvertently gets on plants that you don't mean for it to. So if you're spraying at the time that there are vegetables growing, I would be very, very, very careful of, of doing that, especially on a very still day is really what you're looking to accomplish. But going after the Bermuda, repeat applications of Roundup, mostly during the transition time of the grass is when it's going to be most effective. And repeat applications, he says, is key. I mean, that is really going to be staying after it for sure. So thank you, Clint, for weighing in on that. And Chuck, thank you very much for the call. I'll still email you and follow up with you there. Check out the Facebook page. Search Facebook for Green and Growing WSB. Give the page a like or follow. And if you don't do Facebook, it's okay. You can keep up with me on the WSB Radio website as well. WSBradio.com backslash green and growing. We'll be right back on WSB. WSB meteorologist Christina Edwards. Blue skies and sunshine today, high 57. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. And now, this. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, number one this weekend, plant pansies and English daisies in a sunny bed. When the weather is mild, use plants in three-inch or larger pots to make an immediate impact in your landscape. Number two, miss house plants because they like the humidity. Watch out, though, for brown edges on houseplant leaves. Mist the leaves maybe twice each day if they're starting to brown a little bit. Move them from drafty areas. You also want to wipe the tops of those leaves down, too, to take the dust away. And number three, prune clumps of pampas grass down to 12 inches tall. I have seen my neighbors go at it with a chainsaw, and it looks pretty good. Use a gloved hand, of course, to pull out the dead stems in the clump. So I did a fun little video with WSB meteorologist Christina Edwards just a couple of days ago talking about over eight inches of rain throughout the city in the month of January. We're not done yet. Uh, Next week has the potential to be quite wet more days than not. So remember what that means for us as gardeners. When you're planting, that Georgia red clay can become a lot more compacted as it stays saturated. So it's not really ideal to try to plant anything like trees or shrubs, even bedding annuals at this point when the soil is so wet. So keep that in mind. And also, as you heard from some of our experts earlier in the show, Don't be tempted to prune things just because you see that freeze damage on the leaves. Give everything a little more time. I'd even wait on the knockout roses. I always plan to do that around Valentine's Day. And I'll be posting a video on the Facebook page about how to prune knockouts if you're curious. That'll come up in the next week or two. Follow me on Facebook. Search Green and Growing WSB. Hope you have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon.
love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 